Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. I've got to tell you, I love this church. My wife and I have been part of it about four years now. And I've had the opportunity over the years to literally be in, in hundreds of churches. And I wouldn't trade Canvas for any church that I have been in. I love it here. And it has been a wonderful, great road trip so far. But I've got one, one thing that as I get older, instead of asking, are we there yet? I keep wondering, how did I get this far this fast? I want to tell you something. I've got to give you a warning as I begin here, is that I believe that I have the gift of provocation. <laughs> Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider each other in order to provoke love and good works. Think of this provoking as a cowboy with spurs. He digs those spurs into the horse to get the horse to do what he wants it to do. I believe that I have the gift of showing people another way of looking at things sometimes, something that you may not have considered before. And I think that the greatest compliment that I receive when I'm preaching or teaching is when somebody comes and says, I never thought of it that way before. And so as we continue on our journey through Philippians this morning, we must decide if we are just along for the ride or if we have the determination to finish strong. So let's fasten our seatbelts and go. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. And Paul is saying this, he says, I do not mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Well, Paul, we need to back up a little bit here because what Paul is saying in the previous verses, he says, it is his heart's desire, it is his goal in life is to know Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. It's not just in those areas that are easy and inviting and rewarding, but he says, I want to know him in, in, in the power of his resurrection, but he says, I also want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. He wants the complete package. He, he wants intimacy with Christ because if you only know one aspect of a person, you don't really know them. But Paul was determined to know Christ in all areas of his life. It may not be achievable because he says, you know, I haven't arrived yet. But he says, even if it is unachievable in this lifetime, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep moving forward. So we could continue on in, in Philippians. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Twice in this portion, 
Paul emphasized that he has not yet achieved his goal of fully knowing Christ. And there is some uncertainty about when Paul wrote this letter, but the consensus is, is that he wrote it from Rome in the early 60s, which means that it was shortly before his death. So in the case of Paul, when, he, when we ask, are you there yet, in, in Paul's case, he was almost there when he wrote this. But he focuses on one thing, finishing strong to the end of the race to win the prize. There's, I generally like the New Living Translation, which we are reading here, but I've got one problem. It says where Paul says, I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. Other translations say that I am striving. And to me, there's a difference between striving and just looking ahead. You may be looking ahead to lunch this afternoon, but if you're riding a bicycle up Twin Oaks Road, you're striving. You may be looking forward to getting to the top, but in the meantime, you're striving. The, the word literally means to exert, to put everything you have into it. And Paul is saying this, I am going to exert myself until I finish. No coasting to the end, no, no, uh, no relaxing. He is determined to finish strong. He goes on to say, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, you're wrong. No. <laughs> he says, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. How many people lose what they have gained at some point and go backward? He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Paul's focus is Jesus. For him, it's all about Jesus, and that's what we're going to speak to this morning, that it's all about Jesus. In this series, we have learned that Paul was opposed to false teachers. In fact, that was one of the emphasis that we find throughout this letter. Those that would say that it's not just Jesus, but if it's Jesus and something else. If you have Jesus, but then you need to add your works to it. If it's Jesus, but you need to, to, to give up these things because Jesus is not enough. But Paul is saying that Jesus is enough. One other thing. He says at the end here, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Boy, we need today those whose lives we can pattern our lives after. We need to stand up in some cases and be the one that others can follow. For Paul, the question of are we there yet was, as close, was close to becoming a reality. But don't assume for a moment that he was going to coast. Paul's purpose in life was to know Christ better. He was leaving behind anything that might become an obstacle. And he was setting an example for us to follow. Our road trip through Philippians is more than a summer series. It is a metaphor and it is a pattern for our entire lives. It is all about Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to share from my heart those things that you have given me. And, Lord, I pray that there would be 
those that are receptive this morning to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. Lord, we just thank you that you have called us together, that we are your body, we are your church. And Lord, help us to strive to finish strong and remember always that it's always about you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to bring to your attention this morning is that looking back can be hazardous to your health. Paul says, forgetting the past. One of the most significant obstacles that we face in life in terms of moving forward, in terms of going on with Christ, is our past. And it's not always just the bad things. Sometimes we can dwell on the victories that we have had in the past, and those can become just as much of an obstacle as our failures or as our defeats. Sometimes we want to remember the good old days. But you know something? We don't always remember things as accurately as we think we do. I brought with me this morning a rear view mirror. And so, see, you can look up here and I can see you, but I can't really see you really well. Uh, the other thing is, remember what it says on most of the passenger side mirrors on cars? It says, objects in mirror are closer than they appear. In other words, there's a distortion. In other words, there's something that doesn't quite line up. How would you like to be, if, if you could be remembered for one thing, I think most people would be happy, except if it's a negative thing. When you think of Lot's wife, what do you think of? She looked back. In fact, Jesus in, in Luke's gospel says, remember Lot's wife. And it wasn't for a good thing. But when we talk about Lot and his wife, you know, they were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord was calling down judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angel of the Lord said, you're going to flee, but don't look back. So the family flees and they're on their way. And um, Lot's wife turns around and looks. But the commentators, particularly the Jewish commentators, will say this. This was not just looking back as a glance over her shoulder to see what was happening. She really was turning around and wanted to go back. She did not see the destruction. She probably had fond memories of her home. She probably had memories of her family growing up. And there was a sense of longing to go back to the way that things were before, but she did not remember why they were fleeing. Also, remember that Israel, after they had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, Moses comes along and leads them out into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. How long was it before they started complaining and remembering, oh, the, the food in Egypt? The food in Egypt was great, uh, leeks and onions. I'm not sure if it had been bacon and prime rib. <laughs> I might be able to understand it, but leeks and onions just don't, don't quite do it for me. But 
they were looking, they were looking at the past through the rearview mirror, and they were not seeing things the way they really are. Looking backward can be hazardous to your health. I remember sometime, and I don't remember the, the exact circumstances, but there was a race car driver. It might have been in a movie, but he goes to his car and he rips off the rearview mirror and he shouts out, what's behind me isn't important. And some of us today need to rip off the rearview mirror that we have been spending too much time looking at and get our eyes fixed on Jesus on the road ahead. There may be pain in your past that you can't let go of. Maybe other people have hurt you. Maybe you've had a bad experience in church. At some point in your life, you think God let you down. But you're not seeing clearly because you're looking through the rearview mirror. The emphasis on this series has been joy during the journey and less about our destination. And I agree, but we're at the point in Philippians where we at least need to talk about the destination. Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. He has a goal in mind. He's not just driving around aimlessly. He has purpose and determination. But I want to tell you something, and this is where this might be provocative. Heaven is not the ultimate prize. Let me ask you this. Why do you serve the Lord? Why did you become a Christian? I remember growing up, particularly when there was many invitations that went something like this. Not always, but, but often. If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Heaven or hell? And so in many cases, in many people's minds, salvation has been associated with heaven and hell. And in many, in many cases of those I think that it was more a fear of hell than it was a desire for heaven. I mean, uh, one of the famous sermons in American history was by Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s, and he said the sermon title was A Sinner in the Hands of an Angry God. They said that the people were so convicted that they were grabbing the pillars of the church because he made hell seem so real. If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity was the question. Well, I need to use some music to illustrate a point, and I thought that it would fit because if I'm on a road trip, I don't know about you, but I love music. I love music anytime, but when I'm on the car, let's play, play the radio. But since I'm an older person, I want to go back a ways. The first Christian concert that I ever attended was one that my dad took me to in 1968. We went to the Del Mar Fairgrounds where Andre Crouch and the Disciples were playing. And back then, they were a very new group. They were one of the pioneers of what we would call contemporary Christian music. And he asked the question in this song, 
Why do I serve the Lord? You may ask me why I serve the Lord. Is it just for heaven's gain? Or to walk those mighty streets of gold? And to hear the angels sing? Is it just to drink from the fountain? That never shall run dry Or just to live forever Ever and ever In that sweet old by and by So our view of the Christian life hinges on this question Why do I serve the Lord? If it's just so that we can gain heaven, this road trip that we're on is going to seem awfully long. Because our heart really isn't in being with Jesus. It really isn't in getting to know him like Paul said. It's about getting to our destination. Not everyone come, came to the Lord because of heaven or hell. But ultimately, that enters into our understanding. Why do we serve the Lord? Salvation is all about Jesus. Let's listen to a little bit more of this song. But if heaven never was promised to me, neither God's promise to live eternally has been away. Just having the Lord in my life Living in a world of darkness He came along, brought me the light I have a very easy way to illustrate this. Earlier this month, Denise and I celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary. <laughs> And I'm not quite sure why she married me, but she did. But let's just say that when I asked her to marry me, her response was, well, where are we going on the honeymoon? <laughs> or how big is the ring going to be that you get me? You know, that would deflate me quite a bit. Uh, there may be some people that would respond to that and say, you know, it's, it's worth it. Uh, of course, I didn't have any money, so she, um, we know she wasn't marrying me for my money. But when we make salvation, when we make this Christian life about heaven or hell, we are falling short of what Jesus really wants for us. There is an inheritance for us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 4 says, You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish, an inheritance that is presently kept safe for you in heaven. And remember, Paul says, I, I, I press forward to the heavenly prize. That doesn't mean that heaven is the prize, but that, the, that heaven is where the heavenly prize is reserved. Heaven is like a honeymoon. 
It is nice, but our focus and attention should be on the one who loves us and the one who gave everything to redeem us. See, a road trip's a great time to get to know someone. You spend hours perhaps in the car and, and you, you get to know them better because you're spending time with them. The only way that we get to know Jesus better is to spend time with him, right? So how do we spend time with him? We spend time in the word. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in worship and praise. How can we know Jesus? Well, John said this in, in 1 John. He says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And this is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live as Jesus did. Paul says back in verse 10 of uh, Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. He is not speaking of a casual knowledge, but one that is very intimate. It involves perception and understanding. It's a, a complete knowledge. There's, a, there's an intimacy that goes beyond just details, facts, and figures. In this world, we know celebrities and sport, sports figures. We, we can know details about them. We can know their statistics. We can know what movies they're in. We can even read magazines and find out what their likes and dislikes are, but we don't really know them. The same is true uh, of politicians and criminals. They have fans as well. I'm not sure if there's a difference between politicians and criminals, but... <laughs> But we can know about them, we can read about them, we can see them on television, but we don't really know them until we spend time with them. We can't really know Jesus until we spend time with him. Many people want eternal life, but they see it as something that starts after we die. John 17 Jesus tells us how we can have eternal life. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent. So we know that by knowing Jesus Christ, that is how we gain eternal life. We think of eternal life as, as living forever, but you can live forever and not have life. But to know Jesus, you have life, and you have life everlasting. There are times in this journey when it is not easy. We've all faced struggles. In, in her message, Pastor Katie, uh, in the message entitled Used for God, she showed us how God can use difficult circumstances, including suffering and injustice, to turn people around and achieve his purposes. purposes. Uh, Pastor Anthony told us that standing up for the truth might lead to persecution and suffering. And last week, Pastor Ben, you emphasized about safeguarding our faith. The road to follow Jesus, genuinely follow Jesus, is not always easy. Jesus spoke of things like taking up our cross, losing our lives in order to save them. He calls us to a level of intimacy and dependency upon him that exceeds our natural ability to understand. 
Jesus in John chapter 6 was teaching some heavy discipleship material. He was talking about the fact that he was the bread of life. He was talking about the fact that in order to have life, to share in his life, we must partake in his body and in his blood. Things that are difficult to understand. And it says that after he taught these things, many of the people no longer followed him because it was too high a price. They did not want to pay the price to continue on with an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And it says in, in John 666, he says that at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Simon, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, Simon Peter is saying that for him there was no option. It may be difficult. There may be things that we might not even understand at this moment. But we're going to continue on and we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to get to know him. Earlier, I mentioned that I proposed to Denise um, it's almost uh, 30 years ago now, but I got to tell you, she didn't say yes right away. <laughs> but she didn't slam the door shut either, obviously. She left, e even in saying no, she said maybe. <laughs> she needed a little more time. I, I could see the treasure that I found in her. She had to work a little bit harder to, to see something in me. <laughs> I was an associate pastor in a Pentecostal church at the time, and she grew up in the Church of the Nazarene and would soon graduate from Point Loma Nazarene University. But over the ensuing months, I knew she loved me. And she was even warming up to the idea of marriage, but there were still a few more things to work through. One of her concerns, believe it or not, and we look back on this now and laugh, but in her experience growing up, pastors' wives always played the piano. <laughs> and she didn't. And so she wasn't sure that she could be a pastor's wife because she didn't play the piano. And I'm thinking, nah. But I was determined. I was going to press on and strain, strain forward because I knew what I had. I knew what she was, what she meant to me and how much I was growing to love her. And I began to write something on every card and every note that I sent to her at that time. It was the four little initials, I-N-G-U. It stood for I'm never giving up. And you know what? Even today, 38 years later, every note and every card, I write I-N-G-U at the bottom and then the, the year. And I want her to know that I'm still pursuing her. I want Jesus to know that I'm still pursuing him. That I'm pressing on, that I'm moving forward, that I, I'm not, I'm not going to coast to the end. I'm not going to just sit back and relax, but I am going to press on to know my Savior. I believe Jesus 
He may not use the initials I-N-G-U, but I believe that in his dealings with us, he expresses the same sentiment. For each one of us, he is telling you, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not letting you go. I'm... I know you're going through some difficult times, but he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am not giving up on you is what he says. And as we come through this portion of Scripture, I almost left this last verse off, but there was something that spoke to me so strongly about this idea of Paul saying, follow my example. In fact, I'll turn to the, to the NIV uh, rendition of this in uh, verse 17. It says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. As I was thinking about this, I was trying to recall examples where a pastor or a leader said, follow my example. It's not something that we feel comfortable in saying. We may be models, we may, may be examples, but we're uncomfortable in saying, follow my example. And I understand it. But yet Paul, not just in this portion of scriptures, but, but probably a half a dozen times or more in the New Testament, he says, follow my example. In, in, in the letter to Corinthians, he says, follow my example as I follow Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. And so I got to thinking about that. What does it take to be an example for others to follow? If it requires perfection, I'm in trouble. I have a few of my siblings here, other family members here this morning, and they will tell you that I'm not perfect, if you haven't figured it out already. But I believe that I can stand before you this morning and say, follow my example, and here's why. Because I have, I have an understanding through the scriptures just in the last couple of months of what Paul meant when he said, follow my example. I don't think you need to be perfect to be an example. I don't think that you need to, to be an apostle to be an example. But let's see three texts, three keys from our text that qualify us to be an example. We've been talking about this one all the way along. I believe that Jesus must be our ultimate desire. He must be the desire of our hearts. If we love Jesus and we're pressing on, that's the first requirement for being an example. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Secondly, realize that you haven't arrived yet. If you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. In fact, I think that those of us that haven't reached perfection are, are more useful examples than someone, if you know anybody, that is totally perfect. You know why? Because you can't relate to somebody who's perfect who never makes a mistake. It's not about being perfect. It's about having the humility and the desire to, to, to when you, you fall, when you sin, to repent and to confess your sins because he, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and willing to forgive us our sins. So the example is not perfection. It's humility and the willingness to go forward. 
Thirdly, somebody that's a, a good example is somebody that keeps pressing forward. Somebody who doesn't give up. Somebody who doesn't surrender when things are tough. We may stumble or fall, but we pick ourselves up. We learn our lessons and keep moving forward. People around us need to see examples of people who live by the grace of God. Who, people who live not trying to do things in their own strength and their own ability, but people who live with a dependency upon Jesus Christ. With these three things, I can stand before you and say, follow my example. You can say, in fact, some of you need to start saying, follow my example. Because the world needs examples. Your family needs examples. They need to know that you are serious about following Christ. And don't be ashamed about it. Don't, don't shrink back from your responsibility. We have a responsibility to be an example before people around us. It's all about Jesus. There are so many benefits. I have enjoyed every message in this series. There are so many benefits to being on this road trip with Jesus. I say road trip, but my car isn't big enough for everybody that I want to see come with me. I remember a few weeks ago, Cody talked about a caravan. And that's a good idea, but I, I'm thinking more like a train. And I want to be a conductor and say, all aboard. We must keep moving forward and not allow our past to hinder us along the way. It is not easy to forget. It is not easy for us to forget our past. The enemy always tries to remind us of our past. But we need to learn how to forget our past and forgive ourselves for those things that we consider to be failures and move forward. If you got your eyes in the rearview mirror all the time, you can't go forward with the expediency that you need to. If the worship team can begin to come this way, as a Christ follower, it's been my privilege and it is my privilege to lead people to Jesus. But salvation is more than just a ticket to heaven. Eternal life is what we get when we know Christ. Some people may see my responsibility as a pastor to, to quote unquote, get people saved. But do you want to know what the real desire of my heart is? Salvation is good, but I want to get people to fall in love with Jesus. Because when you are in love with Jesus, all those things will work out. When you love Jesus, you will want to be saved. When we are genuinely in love with Jesus, everything else will come into focus and place. We can be examples to others, not because we are perfect, but because we desire Jesus. Our past will not trap us. We will know that we have not yet arrived, but yet we keep pressing forward. The title of the series is, Are We There Yet? Is it possible 
to live our lives in such close proximity and in such close relationship to Jesus Christ that as we're on this journey, that we'll arrive at our destination and not even realize we're there because our eyes have been on Jesus. There's an old song of the church that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There was a man in the Old Testament, he's becoming one of my heroes. There's not much said about him, but his name was Enoch. It says that Enoch walked so closely with God. He had such fellowship with God that one day God said, and this is a paraphrase, we're closer to my place than yours, come on home. Will you stand with me? There's some here today who need to deal with your past. This rear view mirror has been a hindrance to you going forward. And you need to deal with it. You need to, to confess it and move on. There's others today that your reason for serving Jesus has not been really clear. Maybe you're serving Jesus because you thought it was the right thing to do. Maybe it was because you, you were scared to death of hell. Maybe it was because you want to go to heaven. But until it becomes because you are so in love with Jesus, you have not completed, you have not completed your journey to the place where you're supposed to be at this moment. Jesus wants us to be in love with him. And as we conclude this service, there may also be those that have never given their heart to Jesus for the first time. You want to know what this road trip is all about. You want to know what it means to serve Jesus. You see others with joy in their heart where, where you have sadness. You see others that in the face of difficulty, in the face of difficulties that they face, they're still rejoicing and you want some of it. The best advertisement for Christianity is a happy, joyful Christian. Not one who is isolated from this world's problems. Not one who never has a problem. Another song that Andre Crouch wrote, he said, if I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve him, solve them. That's what faith in his word could do. So it's not about not having any problems. We'll continue to have problems. In fact, uh, Jesus said in this, or Paul said, in this world you will have tribulation. But do you want to make a choice this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is there anyone that will say to me this morning, I want to meet this Jesus that you talk about. I want to receive him and I want to get to know him. You won't be, you won't be disappointed. Making a choice for Jesus is the best decision I have ever made. I love Denise and I'm glad she married me, but making a decision for Jesus was even better. Lord, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to 
share what you have placed upon my heart. And Lord, I thank you that, that you have called us. You have set us aside for your purposes. Lord, I pray this for each one here this morning that knows you. I pray, Lord, that we'll have the boldness and confidence to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I pray also, Lord, that we will, we will not grow weary in well-doing, but that we will keep pressing forward. We'll be striving, exerting with all the energy that we have to move forward and to, to, to delight ourselves in you and to know you more. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the church. We thank you, Lord, for the fellowship of the believers. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us together. Lord, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.